Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life Channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Malone. Today, we'll be talking to Kim Guinta about publishing with the University Press. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here. We're so glad you're with us. Um, Kim, I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, I, my name is Kimberly Guinta. I'm the editorial director at Rutgers University Press, uh, where I direct the, uh, the whole editorial program for the press, but I also acquire books in anthropology, women's and gender studies, and Caribbean and Latin American studies. Uh, prior to uh, my tenure at Rutgers, where I've been since 2015, I was an editor at Routledge and um, acquiring books in U.S. and Latin American history. Great, great. Um, I wonder if maybe you could talk to us a little bit about uh, what drew you to the publishing world. What made you decide to get into publishing? Right. Well, yeah, it's kind of a long story, but um, I am from Florida originally, and I went to the University of Florida, go Gators. And um, when I was done, I had um, finished a five-year program in uh, my bachelor's degrees in history, but then I also have a master's in education and I was teaching seventh grade. Uh, I was a seventh grade teacher in social studies and English for three years. And I had finally just decided that this probably wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And um, I was kind of depressed and I went to go visit my brother in New York City where he was going to school at uh, FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And um, you know, was waiting for him to be done with class and was kind of walking around the village and uh, stumbled upon this little building that had a little, uh, a lot of brochures for NYU's graduate programs. And one of the programs that they run is a master's in publishing, which was um, sort of a light bulb moment for me because I didn't realize people could get jobs making books. I mean, I've always been a big reader, but um, I just never questioned where they came from. <laughs> um, I, they were just always there in the bookstore. Um, so I just thought, okay, great. That's, that's great. I'll, I will go to school for this. I, this I can do. And, um, so we, I made my brother go to the information session with me and, um, it sounded really exciting and they, somebody wanted to know about editorial and the guy running the information session said, well, you know, if you want to be an editor, you should probably go to the Pace University program. If you want to be a publisher, you should come to the NYU program. And I didn't know what that meant. So I just applied to both of them. And I got in at the Pace program. So I also have a master's in publishing now. But the the NYU program uh, said that they they like to keep the slots in their program open for people who are already working in publishing so that they can sort of extend their skills rather than for people like me who are coming from a completely different industry to learn the skills, which I still don't think makes a lot of sense, but you know, they don't have, they don't have trouble finding people to take the classes. So I guess they're doing all right. Um, And then uh, as part of the PACE program, they they have a capstone thing where you can either do a big research project or you can get an internship at a company and then write a, write a project up about that company. And I, um, 
I needed something that paid money because I was temping um, at a publishing company um, and going to school at night. And so I got an internship at Routledge um, working for the sociology editor and then the editorial assistant that I was um, assisting as an intern quit and they they just offered me the job rather than try to look for somebody new. Thank goodness. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I just took that job and, you know, I always thought I was going to be um, going into fiction publishing when I was done, but turns out I love, I love academia and um, it's sort of like working with academic authors is like being at graduate school without actually having to produce any work of my own. <laughs> so <laughs> I enjoy it. Well, it sounds like it also melds. I mean, you have a master's in education and you taught, so it kind of, it, it sounds like it really um, brings those, those different pieces of your biography together. Um, I might want to circle back um, to something you said about kind of the difference of, of kind of differentiating editing and publishing. Um, I don't know if maybe you could expound a little bit on that idea for us. Yeah, that it took me a while to figure out what they meant by that. But um, a publisher is someone who is is more on the business side of things, and an editor doesn't really have to be um, involved in the larger decisions about budgeting and the direction of the press and things like that. They they're more focused on their list of you know of books that they acquire. They are making sure that they're profitable, that they look good, that they sell sell well, um, that they are cohesive, that they hold together, and that they you know like all the books that they acquire are sort of similar in type of whatever type it is. And um, a publisher is sort of rises above that to look at everything: the marketing budget, the the editorial budget, the you know the. the publicity efforts that the press is making, the reputation of the press, they're sort of more um, on the operational side of things. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for kind of shedding light on that. Yeah. It's kind, um, of, it's kind of interesting because some of the um, larger university presses, presses and I mean, some of the um, for-profit academic presses also use it as a title so when I was in, at Routledge, um, the people above me um, would eventually reach the level of publisher. And that's, I don't, I don't, I think that's sort of a kind of a corruption of the whole, the whole idea of a publisher, mm. but it, in a way they are still fulfilling that duty because those people all had a staff reporting to them within a specific um, subject area line. So you would have like the publisher of history, the publisher of, you know, education, the publisher of, you know, sociology or social sciences. And then those people would have editors reporting to them. Okay. So almost like markers of a, you know, of employment hierarchy mm -hmm. in a way. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, and before we get, you know, kind of too far down the road on the conversation, I always like to kind of, um, that was one way to kind of uh, clarify our language and clarify what we're talking about. Um, I thought it would also be helpful if you could give an overview of what the publishing process looks like at a university press. Oh, from a, for, for an author. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. From okay. an author perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so we, uh, we meet authors uh, a variety of ways. Um, mostly through um, 
going to academic conferences, um, talking with people who are presenting um, at the conference. Um, usually I look at the uh, program ahead of time and I make uh, appointments with people whose um, papers seem to um, go along the lines of the kinds of research that I want to publish. Um, I will also make appointments with people who I've always wanted to meet, you know, um, who have more senior positions or who are, are um, bigger in within the fields in which I publish. Um, but also we go on campus sometimes, you know, obviously not now, but when, um, when we can, we can, tr we travel to local ca campuses around New Jersey or New York, um, sometimes as far as Boston or DC and, you know, try to see people in their offices at, at, at the universities, um, just to sort of get a sense of what the departments there look like and things like that. And we ask people if, you know, what they're working on and to submit things. So that's one side it's driven by us. The other side is, um, what we call over the transom, which is a very old publishing term that means, you know, like literally people would throw manuscripts over the transom of a door into the office of the publishers. <laughs> and so, um, so that those are people who are working on books and then they start soliciting um, presses to publish it. So there are a lot of scholars working on things who know they want to publish at Rutgers or presses like Rutgers. And so they, they will come up with a list of places to send their materials and then they will um, target us and they'll send an email saying, Hey, I, I'm, I've been working on this great book. Here's what it's about. Do you think you'd want to publish it? And so they approach us. So both ways sort of work in tandem together. And um, eventually somebody will say, yes, I want to publish this. It looks great. It looks like all these other books would be that I've already published will be great um, sisters to your book and I can market them all together and it'll be really exciting. So let's, let's go. And um, then the next step would be the peer review process. Um, and for an academic book, you, you know, like you could probably tell from my background, I don't do not have a PhD, and I certainly don't have one in anthropology or, you know, Latin American studies. So, I I acquire so so many titles in so many different areas. There's no way that I could be an expert on any one of these things. So, I have to depend on the outside peer reviewers to to um, help me decide whether this book is worth publishing. Um, I look at it more from the perspective of, is it legible? Can I read it and understand the argument? Will other people be able to read it and understand the argument? Is it full of jargon? Um, that sort of thing. So I'm looking at it more as an editor. And then the peer review um, readers that I um, commission look at it more in terms of the um, arguments and the contribution to scholarship. And at Routledge, I used to get three peer reviewer, peer reviewers for each project. And at Rutgers, we um, we require two. If both of those are differentiating, then sometimes we'll get a third one to break the tie if if they say two different things. Um, but normally, you want them to say like, "Yeah, the book is really good. Um, it could it could be better if the author did this, this, and this." And um, um, and then we ask them, you know, ask the authors to respond to those reviews and 
and then we move forward to a contract. Um, each project is a little bit different. So this is a very big generalization, but um, we also can accept a full manuscript or a partial manuscript. And if you submit a partial manuscript, um, then you you can get a contract, but you also have to have a full peer review of the full manuscript whenever you're done writing it. Um, sometimes the full manuscripts don't need that last round of review because they're finished already. And if the reviews are positive, then we don't we don't need to get it reviewed again. But if you know if it if it um, if it's critical, if the reviews are critical or they have a lot of suggestions for improvement, then usually we'll get a full manuscript reviewed again too. Um, and then the editor, once they have the reviews back and the authors responded to them saying, yes, I will do X, Y, and Z that the reviewer wants, but I don't want to do, you know, this next thing. Um, we, we take all of that feedback. We have to do a whole report internally, and then we send that around to the committee within the press. We meet every two weeks at Rutgers and, um, then we, we present it. We tell the committee like why we want to publish it. And here, you know, we sort of negotiate the terms of the contract. And then we go back to the author and explain to them that this is what the contract will be. And then once that's done, the author just works on their book. Okay, great. There's there's a few things I would love to um, circle back sure. um, to um, in, in what you described. Um and so I'm going to try to remember. Um, so you did talk about, just to clarify, and mm-hmm. and I know, um, just so listeners know, Kim was my um, editor at Rutgers <laughs> when Yay. I published my book. So that's how we met um, shortly after she started at Rutgers. Um, mm-hmm. So we've known each other for years now. And um, and so um, so I did, so if you can maybe just unpack a little bit more. So when it, when there's, so some authors will submit a full manuscript for review um, yes. at the get go, and then other authors will do more of a proposal and then a partial. So can you kind yes. of maybe explain what those two look like and, and more, maybe more so on the partials, like how much, how much are they submitting if they haven't had the full, if they don't have the full manuscript and, and what are they submitting? That sure. Um, well, we do a variety of different kinds of books, but um, the the, mo- the bulk of what we publish is our, our um, original research projects, either a revised dissertation project or, um, you know, if you've passed that point in your career and you're doing a new research project, you know, the write-up of that as well. Um, we also do books on theory and things like that. So there are all different st- types of books. And um, if you, if you're revising your dissertation, you may have only gotten through a couple of chapters of revisions before you want to get a book contract because that's important for your tenure process or think something like that. So we don't really wait for the um, full revision because by then um, everything is very competitive. And if there is everything in publishing is very competitive and I think in academia as well. So, you know, the sooner you can get a book contract, the better it looks for your career. And also for us, we can keep it from going to another publisher. So we do like to, um, to work quickly. Um, at Rutgers, we uh, require at least a couple of chapters. So you have to have at least two. Um, I think 
it's better to have maybe the introduction and one other chapter or or two body chapters of the book because those are the the things that I'm not going to be able to um are, uh, I'm not going to be able to evaluate the peer reviewers need to do that and the proposal itself is a separate document that sort of goes over you know what your book is about in a very short um few paragraphs it goes it has an annotated table of contents that tells you what's in each chapter and then it has some marketing information who you think is going to read it what are some other books that are out there already that are similar to your book um that are going to be competition later that sort of thing so that can always stand in place of an introduction so to me it's more important that two of the body chapters come in but i will take any two that they have, as long as they're substantive. If your introduction is only three pages long, then it, that doesn't really count. Uh, yeah. And so then again, so so if someone submits um, a partial, then it gets a review at that mm-hmm. point, yes. um, and it goes out for the peer review, and then it's decided upon to offer a contract or not. Yes. And then again, as you said, then the terms of the contract. So. Um, and then, then it would be reviewed again when the full manuscript comes in. Yes, because you want to make sure that the um, author did make the changes that they said they would do, um, but also you need the reviewer to be able to see the whole argument that it actually did um, uh, fulfill the promise that was in the proposal. Like you're saying, this is what my book is going to say, then they need to double check to make sure that the book actually did say that. Great, great. Um, and another piece of, of what you mentioned in the overall process, which is kind of what I was hoping to do, that you would kind of lay out in a very general way, and then we could kind of um, mm-hmm. circle back to different aspects. Um, let's talk about contracts for a minute mm-hmm. and what those look like. Um, are there different kinds of contracts? What are the main components of contracts? Um, from an author perspective, what can they expect? Yeah, well, there are there are different kinds of contracts, but mostly I would say 90% of them are very similar. Um, Some authors that we work with have literary agents and um, agents are sort of intermediaries that, that work with authors and publishers in their job supposedly is to match up authors with the right publishers and get the publishers to, to um, invest in the books um, in my experience, that is not always the case. That's not how they actually work, but that's how they're supposed to work. Um, they are supposed to be the advocates for an author, and they will very often change a lot of the contract terms to be more favorable to the authors. And whether or not the press can actually afford to do that is a different um, topic. But um, that would also be a good guest to talk to a a literary agent because they have a different, I'm sure they have a completely different read on what their job is than than I do, because I'm always, you know, the advocate for the press as opposed to the author. And um, in most of the cases, you know, we are working from the same boilerplate contract that many other university presses have either something exactly like it or similar, very similar to it. And um, in even places like Routledge or Oxford or Cambridge or any of the bigger 
presses the the contracts are very very similar in 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 form um the things that authors probably should pay attention to are the deadlines um their responsibilities like what they need to turn in and when um uh what they're responsible for paying for and what they're not um and and of course you know the royalties and you know that sort of thing is something that can be negotiated um more or less um and that's what they earn on the on the book um and what else and there oh there's things like the warranty clause where you know you're saying that you're not you're guaranteeing basically that everything in this book is your work that it that you're not going to be sued later for libel or slander or you know plagiarism or any of that stuff so you know you have to read the contracts very carefully because they do contain legal things but but I think most of the contracts are basically the same. Okay. Okay, great. Um, what is, um, and I know that this, this again might differ depending on if you receive a full manuscript or a partial, um, mm. but can you talk to us a little bit about timeline? Um, oh, sure. What does the timeline usually look like? Yeah. The timelines are um, also pretty standard, I think um, more or less. They, so if I get a couple of chapters uh, and a proposal, and it looks like a great project, and I want to sign it up right away. Uh, you know, I can get it out for review as quickly as I can find two people to do it, uh, um, which nowadays is getting harder because of COVID uh, and all of the new responsibilities that academics have. But you know, we've we've been doing pretty good, pretty well, and um, so it, we usually give reviewers about six to eight weeks to review two chapters and a proposal, um, which is not a ton of time, but I figure, you know, it's just a couple of chapters and I know that people are just going to put it off until the last minute anyway. So, you know, it's better to not have it just sitting around on your desk, getting covered with other stuff. Um, or in your inbox, um, could, because I know that if I let something sit in my inbox, it's going to be buried in no time. So um, it's better for the for a reviewer to be on sort of a shorter schedule, um, as long as they know, you know, that they they have this coming up, and then getting it done. Um, the reviewers that I've had at Rutgers have been fantastic. I have to say, uh, you know, the ones I used to get, the reviews I used to get at Routledge were a lot more superficial. And here, um, everybody seems to take their time. They think really um, thoroughly about the books and they give really great suggestions. Um, so, and usually they turn them around in time. Um, then, so that takes about six to eight weeks, let's say two months. And, and then um, when the reviews come back, uh, I slot it into the agenda for an upcoming acquisitions meeting and the author has you know a couple of days to sort of think about the reviews and come up with their response and um and then after that i usually set the deadline based on the author's schedule so if they are if they feel very strongly that they're going to need a year to finish the manuscript then we just you know give them a year I, I'm not really in any rush to get this stuff out. You know, I have a lot of other projects work I'm working on too. So I, you know, I can just put that in whenever they're ready to turn it in. And uh, and then they will go off and write the rest of the book 
And then the final review takes another eight to 10 weeks. So that probably takes another extra month. So up to three months, um, mostly because a full manuscript is a lot more of a, a um, commitment to read than a couple of chapters. And they're really looking for the argument, you know, and they're, they're sort of reading it as a book at that point. So, um, so it can take probably a couple of years to reach the point where it's ready to go into production. And then the production process at Rutgers takes 10 months, which is kind of a long time, I think, but it, it allows us to produce a book that is a really great quality and looks good and the covers are nice, you know, so it it's worth the extra time in my book, but it's something that people should consider as they're considering publishers is asking about the production process and how long that takes, especially if you're on a tenure clock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I guess uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about when you're, when you as an editor are looking, when you, when you, when you get things in, um, what are you looking for in a strong proposal or in a strong yes, manuscript? That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I think every editor has what I call a list plan. And at Rutgers, we all create them every year, just sort of like, these are the topics I'm going to try to find this year. And these are the the sort of books I want to get this year. And then we are looking for those specific things in the background. It doesn't mean we turn down other projects, but we're specifically looking for these things. So that's sort of driving the acquisitions on our end. But when when a proposal comes in, we're looking for um, readability, energy, um, the, the fact that it um, holds together as a book, um, that it's we're looking at the length and the number of pieces of art because that makes it more expensive. Um, there are a lot of really cool projects that I've turned down that were about, you know, visual analysis or, uh, you know, other sort of artistic type of treatments that I just can't produce well. So I can't, I can't publish them because, it, you know, they require 50 color illustrations or um, specific, you know, type of size of a book or something like that. And those I can't do. I also don't like publishing very long books either. So anything that's over a hundred thousand words is going to either have to be cut or it's going to have to go somewhere else. Um, I got a proposal the other day that was like 244,000 words. (laughs) And I was basically like, even if you cut this in half, it would still be very long. (laughs) So I, you know, you just, you, you look for things like that in the proposals and, um, and, and then you look for, um, fit with the press. So, you know, we don't publish, um, in the life sciences very much. So it would have to be a specific kind of project for us to do that kind of a book. And so, you know, I would just reject anything that is a philosophy book or, you know, um, a literature book or um, fiction or anything that doesn't fit what we publish um, just because of the fit. And it doesn't matter what kind of book it is at all. And I've rejected a lot of things like that too, that are, really great projects that just don't fit our publishing program. So that is also something to look at as well. And what I usually tell authors is 
that if they're looking for fit, they should look at their own bookshelves and look at the books that they use for their research and what see what publishers publish those books. And that's where they should really target their, their um, efforts because those people are more likely to be interested in what they have to say since they also publish those other things. Uh, that's great. That's great advice. I actually got the same exact uh, piece of advice from my advisor um, when I was thinking about that. And she said, look at the book, you know, look at the books that you use and that you love to read and that are central to your work and then look where they're published and start researching those publishers. Um, so I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, you know, and I don't know if I, I'm going to flip side that question, which sometimes, you know, there might be more to it or we might have exhausted it. But on the flip side of that, what are some common mistakes or missteps that you mm. see that authors make when they're submitting proposals aside from excessively long, <laughs> um, uh, you know, manuscripts? Um, one thing I would say for sure is to please check that you have the right name and the right publisher on your proposals mm-hmm. and letters, because I have had this happen many, many times, both at Routledge and at Rutgers, where I've gotten proposals addressed to somebody at the other press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's very easy for that to get confused. And if you are blanketing the you know, publishing world with your proposal, it's very easy to lose track of who you're t- actually contacting. Um, so pay attention to that. I would also say that it is... Um, bad form to really have your book out for review with more than one publisher at a time. And if you, you know, if you are, I mean, you can contact as many publishers as you want, and you can send your proposal everywhere. But if one of them decides that they want to um, take it forward to send it out for an external review, for example, that press is putting money into your project. And they are, they are really serious about publishing your book, if it's good, if the reviews come back positive, they are definitely going to want to do it. So you, cause you wouldn't waste money on reviews if you weren't sure, like if you didn't want the book, uh, you, there may be ones where you're, you're sure you like the topic, but you're not sure how good it is. And so then you'll send it out for review. But most of the time, if you spend that money, you're making a commitment to that project to see it through to whatever end there is. Um, so it's not really um, ethical to have it out for review with many presses at the same time because you, you're you're getting their hopes up. You're telling them that you want to publish with them, and at the same time, you're telling you know another press that you want to publish with them. So somebody's going to be let down at the end, and that does. We do talk to one another, and you can get a reputation for you know being shady. In that, in that regard. Um, so I would say, you know, like make a list of who you really want to be published with and target those people first and, you know, and, and sort of let them know if you've contacted other presses. Um, sometimes that can, that can help you because it, it will make the editor sit up and take you more seriously. Um, and if you do contact five people and one of them wants to send it out and it, and it isn't the one you really want, you can also go back to the other people and say, hey, I've got an offer from this press, but I really want to publish with your press. And, you know, are you going to take, are you going to take this seriously or not? Because otherwise I'm going to take this other offer. Um, And that could spur people to take you more seriously too, but it's always better to be 
above board with what your plans are for the book and what your timeline is. If you really need something to be done quickly, you need to speak up and tell people that so that, you know, an editor who's like me, who's burdened with three lists or, you know, challenged with having to balance all of these projects in three different subject areas, isn't overlooking your project because you haven't spoken up and told them that you need a decision within three months because your tenure file needs a letter in it saying that you have a contract. So, um, you, you, you know, it's, it's not something I'm just going to know unless you explain it. So those are the two biggest things. Um, I think, you know, being clear about what your book is and isn't is also good, but sometimes that's harder to do. Um, it's not, a, a lot of people always say that they write for a general reader, but that's not true. I mean, like a general reader is somebody who reads, you know, Tom Clancy novels. So your book is probably not going to be on their nightstand anytime soon, <laughs> like, especially if you're doing, you know, an anthropological ethnography um, or something like that. You, you know, you have to be realistic about who is going to be reading your book um, and, and sort of think about who you're writing for. If you're writing for students, it has a different tone than if you're writing for other policymakers, for example. And uh, it doesn't mean you have to dumb it down, but, you know, you have to unpack certain terms in a way that you probably wouldn't for somebody who is um, at a higher level. So I think, I think that's really the most important stuff is to just be clear about who you're writing for, um, you know, be very like good about having a, a, an annotated table of contents that shows the flow of your book and, making sure you're writing to the the right people. <laughs> yeah. And it, well, it sounds like also almost like a job interview. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to advocate for yourself throughout the process, but be yes. as authentic and upfront throughout the process as possible. Because just like with a job, you know, yes. you really, you want it to be a good fit. You want it to be, yes. to work well. So, yeah. And like that, you can also be um, interviewing the people that you're interviewing with. You know, you can see, mm-hmm. is this press... Like, are these people getting back to me quickly? Um, do they value me? Do their products look good? You know, am I going to be proud of the book that comes out of this process? Um, how are their marketing materials? Look at the marketing stuff. Uh, you know, what's their website look like? What, what, what have you seen at the booth? Do they have a catalog? Do they have brochures or flyers? Or, you know, do they seem to have social media accounts that are active? That sort of thing is important. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, I, because we have such a wide, um, we have a wide audience base where we're, we're wanting to appeal to, to students as well as seasoned academics. Um, you know, in, in that vein, you know, you did just kind of lay out some, some, um, great pieces of advice for authors. Um, would you say anything differently or would you say something to an aspiring author versus a seasoned author? Um, someone who might be on their second or third or fourth book. Um, is there anything that would um, that you would speak to to someone in in that situation? Um, one thing I would say for everybody is that you know the terms are negotiable, and you if you've already published a book, you know think about what it was about the process that you liked and what it was what you didn't like, and talk to your editor about that stuff um, while you're going through the 
the contracting process because um, some of it can be adjusted. Some of it can't because there's limited funds everywhere. But, um, but if there's, you know, if you really um, want to have color images and you think that your last book could have been better with them, you can always ask about that or you can um, ask them if they have any um, wiggle room on the royalties or you know, the free copies of your book or the foreign language rights or, and you know, anything like that, um, that is important to you. Um, also I would say, you know, like I, I would just, for people who've done the process before, I would say like, think about what your, what your experience was like and, and try to, you know, build on that to make, the second book better or the third book better. Um, and for somebody who's aspiring, you know, I would just say, um, uh, first of all, I think 99% of the time we do not publish people who aren't, um, done with their dissertations and have graduated and, you know, have, have, um, their degrees. Um, it's very rare. I mean, if we're doing a, a book for a tr- like a trade audience, because we do publish a lot of things like, you know, the best hikes to take in New Jersey or, you know, sort of um, where's the best pizza in, in the Northeast, you know, or um, there was a book that we published a few seasons ago called The Cat Men of Gotham, which is about cats in um, government offices and firehouses and things like that mm-hmm. around Manhattan. And, you know, those those sorts of books, you know, we're not looking for academic credentials, but for the the academic books that we do publish, we like people to have already been through school and done. Um, so um, I, I think I would just say that it's a, it's a process and that um, you're not going to make a lot of money <laughs> and that <laughs> you have to have another reason for wanting to publish your book. And um, that, it's uh, it's hard to do, but it's worth it in the end when you see the finished product and you you can tell people that you have published a book, a peer reviewed manuscript. And um, what else? What else would I say for somebody starting out? Oh, um, get your friends to read your chapters. That's a that is a a really good thing to, for anybody to do is to have people look at your work before you submit it to make sure that it hangs together. If you have a, you know, I have several authors who have writing groups that they pass their chapters around so that, you know, um, it's looked at by a few other people. Um, If you can include some of your students in your writing a book that you want to use in your courses, that would be something that I would do. I had a, a really wonderful author at Routledge who was writing a Tech, a new um, Asian American history textbook, and she actually um, had a group of honor students in her class that she gave extra credit to if they would read the chapters and give her feedback about the readability and you know anything that they thought wasn't clear. She went back and fixed. So that's always a good idea, especially if your friends aren't in your same field. Like if you have a friend in biology and you're in anthropology, if they can understand your book, then you're doing a good job. Great. 
So um, just some final questions. What would you say, Kim, is the most enjoyable aspect of your job as the editorial director? Oh, well, let me see, let me just answer that from the point of view of an uh, from an editor's point of view, not an editorial director, because okay. I, there are two different things. And I can speak to the mm-hmm. second in a second. But um, the best thing about my job and the thing I love the most about being an editor is um, matching people up with, you know, with the publishers. And when I, when I'm talking to somebody at a conference and they are so excited about their work and they just light up and they start telling me about their research and about how cool it is and what they found out. And I can picture the book in my head and I know that we would be the best publisher, or I know that we wouldn't be a best, the best publisher, but I know somebody who would be good to match them up with that to me is the best part. I love hearing about people's research. I love what hearing about what makes them excited and trying to figure out how to translate that excitement into a finished product um, is, is the best. It is so mm-hmm. fun. And uh, I used to tell my friend that, um, that, that I was, that I used to see at the history meetings that, I do believe that there is a the right place for every book and that finding mm-hmm. that fi- figuring out where the books fit it to me is the the most exciting thing. As an editorial director, what I really enjoy is helping younger editors sort of grow into their jobs and and um and becoming a better editor. I you know, I've seen that in terms of the list plans at Rutgers. And as these editors start thinking about their lists as um, holistic um, things that they're actually actively cultivating, um, it's just been amazing. Like the the um, explosion in the kinds of projects that they're bringing in has, has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. So the first part made me think of you're almost like a you're like an academic you know, math maker. <laughs> exactly. Because you know it's funny. It's like relationships. Everything yep, relates yep. back to relationships. Yep. Um, exactly. I was thinking about that earlier, much earlier in the interview, and you were talking about leading people on. Don't lead your don't lead yes, publishers yes, on. Yes, exactly. Everything translates into um, dating and relationships in my mind. But yep. um but those are some really some really great things. I love hearing people talk about the things they love about their work and what they do. Um so we have just a few minutes left, Kim. Um, why don't we um, kind of begin to wrap up here with uh, maybe sure. you can talk to us a little bit about what you're working on now, maybe some of the projects that you're excited about that you're working on now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, the anthropology list has grown quite a bit, and we have a really active series in medical anthropology, which is something I never thought I would be interested in at all. But it's 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 really a great series. Um, the series editor is Lenore Manderson, who is a a, 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 a giant in the field, and um, she really mentors the authors that that work on that series. I've never had a series editor work as hard as she does with these books, and they're all fantastic when they come out the pro- of the process at the end. And um, it, the the everything that we do at Rutgers has this sort of social justice component to it. And this series is medical anthropology, health inequality, and social justice. And it's about the interplay between, you know, medicine and the government and and where the people land in the middle. And so I've loved working on that. And, um, and then the women's and gender studies list we have, um, I I've been, 
changing it over the last few years to from focusing so much on like motherhood and, and, and sort of, you know, um, second wave feminism to, to younger people, to sexuality, to LGBTQ, um, issues, um, some masculinity, um, in, in there. I think, I think gender right now is, is very, um, an exciting area to be exploring. And, um, that list is growing fantastically. And then, um, in Caribbean and Latin American studies, we're also doing a lot of new, um, textual analysis and, um, identity politics and things like that, that are, are very, um, very interesting and are taking the field in, in new directions, um, looking at art and at the body and, you know, in the environment and things like that. So, um, there's a lot of different projects, um, that, that I'm working on at the same time. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kim, for being on the show today and telling us about publishing and editing um, through university presses. It's been just um, a wonderful conversation. Well, you're welcome, Dana. I could go on about this all day long. So, <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. And then you're in the right field. You found you found your thing. You found your thing. Um, so, thank you again. Um, I'm Dr. Dana Malone. This is the Academic Life, and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again.